1: Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, Well, what a panel we've got this morning. Nikki Styrus has joined us. Uh, Andrew Gordy has joined us. They're almost what you'd call teammates, I guess, uh, have been over the years. So it's nice (laughs) to have them both on board. Uh, Shall we start out? I've just been talking, uh, folks, to uh, Hale Te Pole, who, of course, uh, has a vested interest in whether Pacific Island players should be now uh, given... Uh, The opportunity to play for their countries of birth, but after a a three-year stand-down period, at least I've got a a defined time there, a three-year stand-down period Uh, Nikki Styrus, should this vote go through, should they be able to play for Tonga, Fiji, uh, for Samoa after three years? Morning,
0: Smitty, morning Andrew Look, I, in, in essence, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, I, I like it. I think that there's a lot of players that uh, miss out on fantastic rugby careers because they either were coerced go into going for a trial, or played you know one game for a top nation and then sort of went out into the wilderness. I think in essence, it is a fantastic idea, and it will do nothing but strengthen um, the likes of the Pacific Island teams, which I think has to be you know very very good for global rugby um on the whole and especially with the start of you know a moana pacifica as well um where i would change things slightly is that um rather than just a necessary sort of blanket three year stand down i would uh say if you make it an age-related um stand down period so i would say like if you were under the age of 21 for instance then you would have, say, a two-year stand-down. If you were under the age of 24, you might have a three-year stand-down. If you're over the age of 25, you might have a five-year stand-down. And the reason I say that is that way you are sort of negating the possibility of having uh, players that have had a successful career playing for One Nation and then in their twilight years go, oh, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just bide my time now and then I'll go off and play for my you know my nation of heritage and I think that that's been sort of um, dilutes the product a little bit so that would be my suggestion of course um 75% don't have to get, maybe to get to get across the line so yeah. it might not even happen yet
1: no it might not Nikki you're dead right um double dipping I think you're getting at there and that's a fair point as well uh first of all belated um birthday wishes to you Andrew Gordy uh, another year on this earth, serving us well with your unbelievably good media skills. Um, so uh, let's hope that you're feeling, let's hope that you're fe- feeling well, feeling, feeling well this morning, um, and able to make common sense with us. What What do you uh, What do you feel about this uh, eligibility rule? Because uh, it might become a bit of a story.
2: Well, first of all, Smitty, thank you very much. Um, and to answer your question, uh, well, I, I, I turned thirty-eight years old yesterday. But I've got to tell you, I've got this h- horrendous back problem at the moment, which is making me feel like I'm about fifty-eight. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> quite how how I'll be going over the next wee while. But anyway, anyway, I digress. Um, I'm really fascinated by this eligibility issue, um, Smithy, because I reckon it's the, it's multi-layered and it's not as not as straightforward. I think as as that might seem to reasonable people who watch rugby. Um, I think on the face of it, absolutely, this is something that has to go through. I mean, because the Pacific Islands in particular, and let's be clear, this is who this vote is really set up for. It's because the Pacific Islands have missed out on so much talent, which is, um, you know, players who have often represented, obviously, New Zealand, but, but but a lot of other nations as well. And when you look at... Situations, what like we've seen over 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 recent weeks, where we the All Blacks play against uh, an Irish team with players like James Lowe and Bundy Arkey it's it's absolutely farcical that some nations can benefit in that regard, but nations like like in the Pacific can't uh, benefit. I suppose from players who have who have. Represented other countries at test level, they, they can't then uh, have those players representing them down the track. So on, on the face of it, in that regard, this is absolutely something they have to vote yes for. On the flip side, I, I'm, I'm going to present you with a scenario, right, which makes this sort of scenario makes me a little bit uncomfortable for a, for a few reasons. Let's take hoskins and I'm not for a I'm second suggesting that this is something that Hoskins is thinking, right? But hoskins Tatutu is 23 years old. There is every chance, obviously, that he is going to play for the All Blacks at the next World Cup. Now, I, I've been trying to do a bit of a dig around this morning to see exactly when his contract expires. But I think that that three-year stand-down period makes it ripe for players to abuse the system by, and let me, let me, let me explain, You might have a player who's in that sort of 20 to 25 age bracket. They have their contract expired directly after a World Cup. They play for a nation like New Zealand or Australia or whoever you might want, a Tier 1 nation, let's just say, at a World Cup. They immediately leave after that to to capitalise on the fact that they have represented a Tier 1 nation at a World Cup. They go and play overseas earn a lot of money for three years. And after that three years is finished, they can go and then represent another nation uh, a nation of, the, of their heritage, I suppose, at a World Cup. Now, I'm a little bit uncomfortable about how that situation is right to be abu- to be abused, and I think New Zealand rugby and other nations will be aware of this, and I'd be really, really interested to see how concerned they are about that very scenario that I've just played out, that they might basically raise talent or, or, or bring talent through to represent New Zealand when they're you could argue at the development stage of the international career, but then it's the Pacific Island nations that capitalise on that player when they're at their peak age, I suppose, sort of that, I don't know, 28 to 30 age bracket. And I'd be fascinated mm. to see how the other tier one nations, based on that, intend to vote.
1: Yeah, interesting that. I'd throw a name at you then, uh, Gord. Let's try Devin Conway.
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and yeah. and yeah. New Zealand have obviously benefited from that a hundred percent and yep. and does that make it right or wrong? i mean look devin Conway didn't didn't play for south Africa obviously um and he he made a made a decision to come and and represent new zealand it's it's yeah i, I get what, I understand what you're getting at. I think it is slightly different. has Devin Conway abused that that sort of system i i don't I don't feel like he has.
1: No. Okay. Fair
2: enough.
0: Is it a? Sorry. Sorry, Is it a case of the fact that if you can um, increase the the value in that international jersey of those Pacific Island nations, so that you never get that scenario, because these players, once once they want to play for their heritage nation, because they see the value in it, they don't get snapped up by you know um, overseas. Uh, nations, and so they do want to play for those, the Tongas, the, the Fijis and the Samoas, and so that scenario doesn't uh, develop quite so easily.
2: Well, to, to me, Nick, um, I think it, it's, it's going to be then, it's going to fall on New Zealand rugby to be really clever about how long they contract players for and, and how they stage that contract then. Um, so that like yeah. the scenario that I've just raised, so a player can either leave directly after a World Cup or in the year following a World Cup. It's the three-year thing that I, I think they're going to have to be clever about. They might say, well look, mm. if you want to play for New Zealand at the 2023 World Cup and it's 2021 right now. We want you to sign a four-year contract so that we're locking you in yeah. for two World Cup cycles. Now they're going to have to pay up for that, right? They're going to have to pay overs, you would have to say, because they're saying to to a player, look, we want to lock you in um, for your, your club future, your super rugby future, but also your international future, because we want to make sure that you're playing for New Zealand across two World Cup cycles instead of one. And they're going to yeah. have to pay overs up front to make sure that that happens.
1: Interesting. Yep. Interesting. We shall, we shall take a quick news break. Uh, and when we return... Uh, We will still have Nikki Styrus and Andrew Gordy hopefully with us on the panel. Um, There's still heaps to talk about this morning, uh, including this Australian cricket soap opera. That's coming up shortly. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Andrew Gordy, Nikki Styrus with us this morning. And Nikki, I think last time we spoke uh, together, I would imagine England with the team, the Ashes team under pressure, their team was uh, a little bit disarray. They were looking for places to put their wives up so they could at least bring a team over. Uh, And all of a sudden, it's Australia who are in total disarray this close to the Test match starting um, in around about 10, 12 days' time. Uh, What have you made of all this? From a woman's point of view in particular, what have you made of this? (laughs)
0: Well, well, I hope I don't upset too many women when I give you my answer, but... um, I, um, I'm actually on the side of Cricket Tasmania. I actually think that uh, Tim Payne has been um, thrown under the bus by Cricket Australia, and I think actually their behaviour towards him has been disgraceful, and these, these, this is my reasoning. First of all, um, Tim Payne was uh, named captain by Cricket Australia when they knew that this had already gone on four years ago. So they were quite happy to employ him then as their captain amidst all the sandpaper gate saga. And give him the job of trying to improve, you know, the culture of cricket Australia, which I would arguably say he did. And yet it was only fine until the public found out about it. And then all of a sudden it's not fine anymore. Uh, and, you know, sorry, we're going to have to get rid of you. Well, maybe they should have stopped and thought about that before they actually announced them, Captain, back then. And the other thing is, I would say, first of all, this was um, four years ago, it was a consensual act between two adults. It was not a repeated act. It didn't breach the Code of Conduct. In my view, it was a private matter. So why now is it suddenly become a cricket issue? I I just think he's been really, really poorly treated, and if this was a different scenario, if this was a scenario where a woman had been abused in any way, it wasn't consensual, um, there was a, a code of conduct breach, different story, absolutely. But I just think that this has been um, Cricket Australia, basically, maybe going, oh, well, well, Payne's really not that great a cricket player, you know, maybe this is a good opportunity for us to get rid of him and bring in someone new. Maybe. That's my view.
1: Well, it's... Uh, yeah, that is, and it's an interesting view as well. I must admit, I, I'm tempering a wee bit on the whole deal as well. I, I, I Gord's, it, it's to me. I, I got a feeling, you know, they might pick him. I, I got a sneaking suspicion, they might pick uh, Tim Payne, which is an interesting one in itself. I mean, he, he, he gave away the captaincy of his own volition, although you get the, you get the feeling it would have been stripped from him anyway. But he made the first move there. But I got a sneaky, they might. They might pick him to play anyway and I also don't quite understand or don't know who their, their captain's going to be. If it was going to be Pat Cummins as the uh, named deputy, why haven't they named it straight away and just put all this to bed? Yeah, that's,
2: that's a really good point. Um, like, so, yeah, se-
1: several points
2: to, to cover off there, I suppose. Firstly on should they pick Tim Payne? Well, I've got to say that one of the one of the funniest things I found, and, and let me make this clear, I think this whole episode is hilarious um, for, for for cricket Australia. I mean, what an absolute nightmare for them uh, to be dealing with on the eve of the Ashes series. Um, one of the one of the interesting points I found was um, the response of the, the British uh, well, the British cricket fans and the British media. I uh, found one one uh, tweet particularly uh, hilarious where someone says, I don't know why, why everyone's finding this so funny. Cricket Australia is now going to pick a guy who's a better wicketkeeper, a better batsman, and a better captain. And that, if that's how the English view Tim Payne, um, then perhaps we, we won't and we shouldn't see him uh, selected for the first Ashes test. Um, I also wonder, Smithy, like, if, if he did decide to select Tim Payne as a, purely as a wicketkeeper and a batsman, what an enormous distraction. On the field, off the field, everywhere, it would just be—I would argue—potentially an unnecessary distraction. And and is it worth? Is Tim Payne so good that and so much better than the next cab off the rank that you're going to pick him and put up with all the all the distractions that come with it? I'm not sure that it would necessarily be worth it. Uh, to to be perfectly honest. Now, in terms of who should be the next captain of Australia, I think this is—I think this is a fascinating. Uh, situation for that a Cricket Australia find themselves in. I mean, let's face it, who's the obvious choice here who should be <laughs> taking over and who you would want? Who's the experienced hand? Who's the, who's the guy who's the natural locker room leader who should be taking over? It is without doubt Steve Smith. Now, let's, uh, if Steve Smith doesn't get the captaincy after this, he can kiss goodbye to ever ever captaining Australia again. And uh, Cricket Australia, on, on the, that same sense, what a decision they have on their hands here, because they've decided clearly that they've had to take the moral high ground in this, in this situation. We can't have the captain of, of Australia going through such public embarrassment like this. Well, how your, your stocks can't be any lower, frankly. The integrity of Cricket Australia can't be any lower. So this is arguably the perfect time to reinstate Steve Smith. Because how's everyone going to forget about this? By winning the Ashes. And I would argue that having Steve Smith as captain gives you the best chance of winning the Ashes.
1: Okay, mm, uh, I'm sure you've talked about it in the household. But have, uh, have you have you forgiven have you forgiven Steve Smith to the point where, um, as Andrew said, now's the time.
0: Oh, look again. Andrew's right. It, it, it's hilarious the whole thing, the way it's played out. And the fact of the matter is, if they do reinstate Steve Smith, what a contradiction in itself. I mean, you, you, you've just got yeah. rid of somebody like Tim, Tim Payne going well. He can't do it because, you know, we've taken the moral high ground, yet we're going to reinstate somebody who got us into this mess four years ago. It's just like, mm. it's, it's it's laughable. But, um, but yes, he is the obvious choice. Um, and, you know, he holds position in the team. I, I don't know about Pat Cummins. I don't know about having a fast bowler. And like Andrew said, if they were going to appoint him, they probably would have done it by now. I, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued as to see, is there another candidate? I, I can't see that there is.
1: Uh, well, Pat Cummins is the obvious uh, one that they...
0: Well, no, sorry, part of, no, up. Part of no. yeah lined up.
1: Yeah, well, the, the thing about Pat Cummins for me is uh, uh, when they appointed Pat Cummins as the vice-captain for this particular series, uh, I don't think for any... Uh, they clearly didn't think that Tim Payne was going to go through this scenario. So then Pat Cummins was just a backup captain. He was someone in the dressing room who people respect, um, who they could go to if they had an issue with Payne or whatever. He was the support group. Uh, And I I would imagine also they didn't uh, imagine that Pat Cummins or or might not imagine that he was going to be available for all five test matches. It's a tough, long series. These days they tend Mm -hmm. to rest and rotate a lot more than they used to. Uh, And that's why I'm I'm not quite sure whether they ever intended Pat Cummins to be the test match captain for this series. And that is the issue that they're going through now. Add to that... Um, George Bailey is the convener of the of one of these selection panels and heavily involved in this. He's great mates with Tim Payne, the business partners. They got the same manager. I mean, it's, it is uh, it, it just continues on. It just it's, it's so messy. Let's get away from it, shall we? Um, let's let's get to a really easy subject to debate. Um, the All Black postmortem, uh, postmortem, Nicky Styris, out of ten, uh, where do you rate this All Black uh, this All Black year out of ten? Uh, and what would be the first thing? If you were chairman of the review committee, the first thing you'd look at?
0: Oh, ouch. Shit, you really, you're pulling me out of my comfort zone now, Smitty. Um, I'm no rugby guru. I would probably, out of 10... Oh, well, I mean, your Blacks do have very high standards. I'm probably going to give them... six and a half, seven? Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, oh. they still won a considerable number of... I don't know, shit. Um, the first thing I would do... I don't know. I still have my doubts around Ian Foster. I would love to see Scott Robertson in there. I really would. I'd love to see him have a crack before the next World Cup. I don't think they'll do that well if they've got faith in Foster anyway. But um, I'm not convinced that he has found the right plan, that he's found the right game plan to to, um, counter this rush defence that they keep encountering when they over to these teams and I I just know now there's no enigma around the all blacks anymore, these these northern hemisphere teams exactly. we'll be looking at the all blacks going, they're so beatable you know, we've just done it two weeks in a row rather than sort of sporadically. And I just think they've got to oh, they've got to do something before this next World Cup rolls around. And Foster says he's had the plan, but I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced at all. So yeah probably six and a half out of ten. I don't know.
1: Goods, Goods, sum it up for us. Come on then.
2: Nicky, I think you're very generous. I'd give the All Blacks five out of ten for this, uh, oh. this season. I think they have, and the reason is they have they have done exactly the things that we would expect them to do, but haven't overachieved in any sense in terms of how they how they finish the year. So it's a five out of ten True. for me. Um, I'm I'm deeply concerned about how some of the some of the things we take for granted for, the, for All Blacks teams, and 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 by that I mean. Uh, in terms of physicality, uh, always being the most physical team on the field and skill execution uh, that is on another planet, neither of those things have been present uh, for every All Blacks game this year. In terms of the coaching situation, that's a really tricky one for me because I personally, when when New Zealand Rugby announced that they were extending Ian Foster's contract, I felt like it was the only fair thing to do because at that point, at that point, and I stress that at that point. Ian Foster really couldn't have done anything else uh, to prove that he was worthy of a contract extension. And then I suppose it was really just a a question of, are you going to allow this this man to to go away for an extended period of time, coach this team uh, without having certainty around his future? Now, you could have argued that if they didn't give him a contract extension, that would have been unfair on him. But now we're looking at it through the lens of, they've been away, they've been underwhelming, they've lost two crucial games at the end of the season, and now we're all questioning it, aren't we? Do, is Ian Foster the right guy? Does he have a plan? He says he's got a plan. I can't sit here and confidently say that the plan—that one, he has a plan, and two, that the plan's going to work. And all the while, we all know that there is this outstanding, outstanding coach. He's proved he's an outstanding coach, um, sitting down there in Christchurch, and and that's never going to go away. That's never going to go away for the next two years uh, ahead of this World Cup. We're always going to be sitting there wondering whether this All Blacks team could be performing better if they had Scott Robinson at the helm, and that's going to be a massive challenge for Ian Foster over the next uh, the next six months, the next year. It's proving to everyone that he can get the best out of this playing
1: group. Andrew Gordy, Nicky Styrus, outstanding as I suspected that you would be. Andrew, look after your back. Uh, Nicky, you go away and look after your husband. That's all I can suggest.